Good morning. It's good to see you all here today. I'm Pastor Kyle Thompson. Thank you for being here. I know we got up an hour earlier today and it's been raining. So those of you here in person, thank you for going beyond, above and beyond to be here today. And uh, we welcome those of you in our traditional space, those of you joining us upstairs in our modern sanctuary, and those of you who are at home who are able to watch online or listen to our podcast. We have many ways to worship together, but we are one church. We serve the one true God uh, with one message today, and it's just good to be together as we do that. Uh, we are in the midst of the season of Lent. This is the 40-day period that leads up to Easter Sunday, uh, and it's a time for us to reflect really on our relationship with God and what that looks like. And our sermon series is called In Plain Sight, and we're reminded that a lot of times we think of God in big, expansive ways like creating the universe and walking on water and doing all kinds of big miracles, which God does. Uh, but oftentimes, God is with us in everyday plain sight. We just have to be careful to open our eyes and to see where God is. And so that's what we've been trying to do, looking in Scripture and, and everyday life. And we've been looking at an object every Sunday or every week. Um, an everyday object that might point us in the direction of God. And so we're going to continue doing that today, uh, and we're glad that you're here to be a part of that. So I want to let you know that my father is a numismatist. Ever heard of that? Numismatist. Uh, I know we're kind of trying to wake up today. Turn to somebody and just tell them what you think that might mean. What does numismatist mean? Any guess? Now, some of you are like, Pastor Kyle, you shouldn't say bad things about your dad in church, right? So uh, that's not what I'm doing. A numismatist is a coin collector, okay? So it's a coin collector. Uh, if you're here today, you were handed a coin when you came in. We'll talk about that in just a little bit. But uh, one, uh, one year from my dad's birthday, I was looking up gifts online to get him. You know, what do coin collectors want? I found this shirt online. Uh, it says a numismatist is a crazy person who pays money for more money. I did not buy that shirt for my dad, uh, so, uh, but anyway, uh, uh, in a somewhat similar but not similar story, uh, I don't know if you saw uh, in the news this week um, that um, the second biggest bank failure in the U.S. happened, uh, which is not funny, uh, and that's challenging. I was on um, Next Door Neighbor this, this week on the app on my phone where people and neighbors nearby can talk about things. And the subject of the day uh, on this post was uh, people complaining that they're going to shopping centers and there are people there who are playing the violin for money. And uh, these violinists are playing electronic violins. So they're hooked up to this speaker and they're playing violins. And some of the posts were saying that, you know, they're not really playing the violin. If you, you can see, they're faking that. And uh, when they stop playing, the music's still playing. So there's some kind of a scam. Someone else said uh, they saw the people who are playing the violin get out of their car. It's a very super expensive car, so they're not short for money. Some, some people are like, don't give them money to play the violin. Other people are like, well, if I want to give them the money, it's my right to give them money. Don't tell me not to give my money, right? So uh, all this to say... There's lots of opinions in our world about money and how we make it and how we spend it. And what does the Bible teach us about that? As we think about everyday objects, today we're going to be thinking about coins. Some collect them, some spend them. We all use coins and dollars and transfers and all that kind of stuff. What does the Bible teach us about how we can connect to God with the ways that we use our money? So let's think about that today, and we're going to be going through a lot of different scriptures. 
Uh, and I want to start off with one that if you were with us for our last series, The Stories of Jesus, we talked about it. So some of these religious leaders in the first century didn't like Jesus. They were trying to get him in trouble, and they came and they asked him a question. They said, Jesus, is it lawful for us to pay tax to the Roman government? Because the people of Israel did not rule their nation. The Romans ruled it. Uh, the, the head of the Roman government was Caesar, and his picture was on the money. Uh, and people believed that if you, if you got this money, it says you're supposed to worship the Roman emperor. And the, the, the religious people like, you know, we, we can't do that. We worship God. And so these religious leaders were trying to get Jesus in trouble. Because if he said, yes, you should pay the tax to Caesar, then people were saying, well, you support worshiping Caesar. But if Jesus said, no, don't pay the tax to Caesar, then they could go to the Romans and say, hey, this guy's saying for us not to pay taxes. You might want to get him into some trouble. So it was a trap. It was a trick. So let's see how Jesus answers this. From Mark chapter 12, verse 15. Jesus, should we pay the tax to Caesar or shouldn't we? But Jesus knew their hypocrisy. He says, why are you trying to trap me, he asked. Bring me a denarius, that was a coin back in the day, and let me look at it. All right, so Jesus is aware they're trying to trap him. He says, bring me a Roman coin, let me see it. Whose image is on that? And so they said, Caesar's image is on that. He says, then give to Caesar what is Caesar's. Right, this is Caesar's money. We're living under his rule. If he's taxing us, then give him what is owed to him. And then Jesus said, but give to God... What is owed to God? And later in the, in the Bible, Jesus teaches us that what God asks of us is to give God our hearts, our minds, our souls, and our strength. So basically, Jesus says, yes, we can give a coin to Caesar to pay the tax, but we give to God what is God's. What is God's? All of us. Our minds, our hearts, our souls, our strength. Yeah, you can, you can pay the tax. But God is the ultimate one that we are allegiant to. This question is, who is the one worthy of our loyalty? Who is the one that we are supposed to be allegiant to? And Jesus answers that. God is primary. God is number one. So as we think about the money that we carry in our pockets in America, our coins, our dollars that have George Washington and Thomas Jefferson and uh, Abraham Lincoln on them. What do we owe those folks? We probably owe them a debt of gratitude for starting the country, for uh, giving us freedom, that sort of thing. We have to pay taxes. We got to give that to the IRS. But we still, our first allegiance is to God. So I think this passage in the scripture just reminds us to think about who is number one in our life, even with the way that we spend our money. Let's see what's next in Scripture this morning. Uh, this is from Luke chapter 15, verses 8 through 10. This is uh, something that Jesus is saying. These are Jesus' words. Suppose a woman has ten silver coins and loses one. Doesn't she light a lamp, sweep the house, and search carefully until she finds it? And when she finds it, she calls her friends and neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me, I have found my lost coin. In the same way, I tell you, there's rejoicing in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. You know, it's fun when we find unexpected money. 
You know, you put on a dress or a coat, and you stick your, your hand in the pocket. There's a $20 bill. I didn't realize I had that, right? And I remember when I was a kid, I used to go to, like, the shopping centers and go to those gumball machines, and I'd see if, like, a quarter was stuck in there that somebody had forgotten about. You know, you ever done stuff like that? It's fun to find unexpected money. In this case, this is a woman who had 10 coins, and she lost one of them. And so she searched her whole house. We might be thinking, you know, what's the big deal? You still have nine coins, but you know what? That was 10% of what she owned. What if you went to your bank account today and noticed that 10% was missing? Like, we would be upset. We'd be on the phone. We'd be calling the president of the bank. We'd be calling the local bank manager. Where's my money that I lost? I want to find that. Now, not to start another bank crisis, but uh, one of our local banks here in Charlotte this week, if you saw on the news, people were logging onto their bank accounts and they had negative balances. And they were not supposed to be negative, right? So in the world that we live in, that's kind of a scary thing, right? So this woman found, right, they got all their money back, by the way, so no run on the bank for that bank, uh, right? But this lady lost her money. She found it. And she was super excited, right? Have you ever lost something and found it again and, and were overjoyed? Um, back when um, the cryptocurrency was really coming on the scene and, and blowing up and all that kind of stuff, like Bitcoin and Ethereum and all that kind of stuff, there was a story about a man in Great Britain uh, who had bought a lot of Bitcoin that was worth $280 million. And you keep this in like online accounts and you have like this computer encryption key that allows you to get it, no one else to get it. He mistakenly threw away the hard drive that had his, his encryption key on it. He threw away $280 million. Now that Bitcoin's probably not worth that now, but it's still probably worth a lot of money, right? Could you imagine how excited he would be if he found that hard drive that he threw away that lost him $280 million? The Bible says that when one person who is far from God turns back to God, that God rejoices more than anyone who's lost any amount of money. If you lost one silver coin, if you lost 10% of your bank account, if you lost $280 million, it doesn't compare to how God rejoices when one of us who is far from God turns back to God and say, I want to be in your life, God. I want you to be my Lord and my Savior, right? You are very valuable to God. You are priceless when it comes to God in your life. That is something that we can remember when we see a coin or a dollar, that you are priceless to the God of the universe. Let's keep going and see what we learn. This is in uh, Luke 21. Uh, and Jesus is in the temple in Jerusalem. This is kind of the national kind of place of worship for people in the first century. As Jesus looked up, he saw the rich putting in gifts into the temple treasury. He also saw a poor widow put in two very small copper coins. Truly, I tell you, he said, this poor widow has put in more than all the others. All these people gave their gifts out of their wealth, but she, out of her poverty, put in all that she had to live on. So Jesus is at the temple, right, the place of worship, kind of like the national church. People are coming to make their financial offerings to support God and the ministries there. Uh, and he notices this little old widow, I guess, come up and she puts in two pennies, which people probably wouldn't think was worth a lot of money. And he said, her gift is bigger than anyone else's gift that has come before her. Now, that's not to knock the larger gifts. They're very important, and the people that gave them, I'm sure, gave it out of their heart, and that's very important. It's powerful. It's important. But what Jesus is saying is she gave a higher percentage. 
She gave everything that she had. She gave a sacrificial gift. It hurt for her to give that. And it, 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 it asks us maybe to ask ourselves a question, what does it look like to give to God? What should I give to God financially? How do I know that God is number one in my life? And I think one of the lessons here is that when we give to God, it, it probably should be a sacrificial gift. It's something that's going to cost us something. It's something that we're going to miss. I think that, you know, a lot of times in the Bible they use the percentage of 10% that, you know, you're supposed to give 10% or tithe or whatever. I mean, that's just one guideline. I think the reason that it was in that area is that for a lot of us, 10% would be a big sacrifice. We would really miss that in our lives, right? And so sacrificial giving, giving till it hurts, that kind of thing, right? But this woman gave 100%, right? So those of you who are here today in person, you should have received a little coin when you came in if you want to get that out. Uh, this is a replica of the widow's penny, the widow's mite. This is what she put into that treasury, Okay. I got this on Amazon. It's not real, right? So you can't go sell it on eBay for a bunch of money, but uh, it is a reminder. So one side has what looks like an anchor, and the other side has six little points. Those are supposed to be six points of a star. So uh, as you think about giving to God and deciding what should I give to God, what do I owe God, remember the widow's sacrifice, that God was number one and she gave all that she had. What does it mean to give to God sacrificially? So maybe just put this in a place of prominence in your life and just use this as a reminder. I think one other thing that Jesus is talking about with the widow is, um, why did she only have two pennies? Why weren't the people of Israel, why weren't the people of the church, why weren't the people who were religious leaders why would a widow, right, who can't work, can't take care of herself, why would she only have two pennies? Why is the system so broken that people aren't taking care of her? Right? So I think that's, that's a big question that's in this passage of Scripture, right? The verse that leads into this chapter that Jesus talks about says this, they devour widows' houses and for a show make lengthy prayers. These are about the religious leaders. You're supposed to be taking care of people who can't take care of themselves, but you steal their homes. These men will be punished most severely. The religious institution was letting down the people that needed them the most. And Jesus is calling them out on that. So in the 21st century in America, here in North Carolina, in the city of Charlotte, in South Park, who are the modern-day widows? Who are people in our community who are being exploited, and how are we part of that process? What does that look like in our life? Maybe that's something that we can think about and wrestle with uh, when we see the widow's might, when we see the coins. How are we kind of complicit in that in our own life, right? Uh, just something for us to think about. Let's keep going and see what else the Scripture teaches us about coins and money today. Uh, this is an interesting thing that we don't usually think about when we, we think about Jesus. This is from John 2.15. Jesus is in that same temple, right? Same temple. So Jesus made a whip out of cords, and he drove all from the temple courts, both sheep and cattle. He scattered the coins of the money changers and overturned their tables. This is angry Jesus. This is the Jesus that we don't usually think about, we don't usually see. There's not really an angry Jesus action figure that we give our kids to play with in children's church. Jesus is mad. 
Why is he mad? He's at church. It's their version of church. It was called the temple. Uh, and in those days, you would go there from everywhere in Israel. You come to Jerusalem. You come to worship God. And they used to do like animal sacrifices and stuff so you could buy the animals there to sacrifice to God. Thank goodness we don't have to do that anymore. I'm not cutting up goats and stuff up here in front of you and throwing blood on you. I'm glad that we don't do that anymore. But they did that then, right? And there's a reason for all that. To get into the temple to buy the, the animals there, you had to take the Roman coins and exchange them for the Jewish coins because you didn't want to have the, the outside money and the inside. And, and, of course, the money changers who were doing that wanted to make a little profit. And so they would hike up the rates. And they're probably charging more for animals inside the temple than you could buy outside the temple. All right, so price gouging, and they're doing this in church. And Jesus is like, this is a house of prayer, and you've corrupted it. And angry Jesus came out, and he got the whip, he chased them out, because they were making a mockery of what was going on. All right, so what would Jesus be angry about in our modern culture, uh, misusing economic principles? Maybe price gouging when national uh, disasters happen, natural disasters, like when a hurricane happens, and you have to pay, you know, 200% more for a generator or for water or for food. I think Jesus would be angry about that. Or charging the highest interest rates to the people that don't have any choice. Uh, say, yeah, I'd love to cash your check. I know that you don't have a bank account, so I'll cash your check for 25% of that check. Right? How would Jesus be angry with some of the economic principles uh, that happen in, in our world today. That's one thing where Jesus really gets mad, taking advantage of others uh, by exploiting people uh, through money. Just a warning, I guess, from Jesus today. Let's keep going, right? How we, yeah, a key point from that, right, is how we earn and use money matters to Jesus, right? How we earn and use money is important to Jesus. How do you earn money? How do you use money? Does that honor God? All right, Matthew 10, 29 through 31, uh, again from Jesus, are not two sparrows sold for a penny, right? Two birds are cheap, right? You've got that little penny I handed you in Jesus' day, you could buy two birds, right? Yet yeah, uh, not one of them will fall to the ground outside your father's care. God loves the birds, even though they're cheaply sold, God cares about the animals, and even the very hairs on your head are all numbered, so don't be afraid. You're worth more than many sparrows. Right, here's a, a really cool lesson. Jesus says you could buy a couple of birds for a penny, right? It's, they're cheap. But God says, I love them, right? You buy, take your little penny, buy two birds, right? God says, I love the birds. I'm going to take care of the birds. But you're more important than the birds. Right? I know sometimes we wonder, does God care about me? Does God notice me? Does God get tired of me praying the same prayers every day? Right? It's a big universe. It's a big planet. There's billions of people. How could God know who I am? Does God care about my fears? Does God care about my anxieties? Does God care about me eating today? Does God care about my dreams and my hopes and all that kind of stuff? Jesus makes it clear here, God cares about you. Right? God cares. Here's a, here's a point I want to make today. God's involvement in our lives knows no limits. Right? God knows you. He knows your heart. He knows your dreams. He knows your desires. He knows your fears. He knows your anxiety. And God cares. Right? God cares for you. Never forget that. You are priceless to God. Right? And I wonder sometimes the things that we see in the world that we think are not of value, including other people, 
right? How does God feel about them? God cares about them as well, right? God cares about each and every one of us. You are priceless to God. There's no value upon you. It's just, it's too grand. It's too grand. Let's keep going. This is from Ezra. This is the Old Testament, chapter 2, verse 68. Uh, When they arrived at the house of the Lord, again, the Jewish temple that we talked about uh, in Jerusalem, some of the heads of the families gave free will offerings for the rebuilding of the house of God on its site. So this is Old Testament time. The people of Israel have been defeated by a foreign nation called Babylon. Uh, The Babylonians took some of the Israelites who survived the war into captivity into Babylon, took them out of their home. They knocked down the the capital city of Jerusalem. They went to the church, the temple area where people believe God lived and where they worshiped, and they they knocked it down, right? We're the victors. We're going to show you who we are. Uh, And so 50 or so years later, the people of Israel finally get out of captivity. A lot of people died in captivity. A lot of people were born in captivity, have never been to Israel. They go back to the land of Israel. Uh, They're excited, those who are still alive, to show their children the next generation where they came from. They're excited to get back to Jerusalem and to go and worship in the holy site. And I can't imagine how heartbroken they were when they got back and the temple was destroyed. Like if we came in here after being gone for 50 years and we wanted to worship God and this sanctuary was in ruins, right? This is their national identity, right? They were just crushed, but they had a vision. We're going to worship God here again. We're going to worship God again here in this place. The building might be knocked down, but God is with us and we're going to build it back up. And, and Ezra shows us that some of the people said, you know what? I'm gonna, here's what I'm going to do financially. The other said, this is what I'm going to do financially. And pretty soon all the people of Israel came, and they gathered together their funds, and they rebuilt the temple. Right? And so this is what I think is going on here. Coins, right? our money, freely given, contain the power to cast a vision and shape the future. Right? The word vision means a preferred future. Right? When we give to God, we see that future. We say, God's calling us to do something in the world to make a difference. I'm going to put my money behind my mouth, right? And we're going to make this possible. We're going to bring this vision to reality. And I've seen that time and time again in this congregation. This campus that we're sitting in, this beautiful, amazing campus, it didn't just happen overnight. God didn't just snap his fingers and poof, here you go, which he could do, right? But we're here because you believe in the vision that God has placed our church in this community to reach people for Jesus. And you believe in it so much that, that you sacrifice right, your own money to do that. Right? We had capital campaign to, to, to build this campus. You all are faithful in giving money to support the everyday budget ministry of this church. We take up special offerings like Christmas Eve to, to give away to ministries like Dahlia Grove who fight human trafficking. Right? This congregation is so faithful and believing in the vision that God calls us to do to reach people for Jesus, and we support it with our prayers and being here and also financially. We give big, we give sacrificially, because we believe that God has a preferred future for our community, and we get to be a part of that. And I'm just so grateful to be a pastor of such a faithful congregation. I just want to thank you all for what you do to make God's message available to as many people as possible in our community. One more passage of Scripture, and this one's a little hard to read. Uh, This is at the end of Jesus' life. This is from Matthew 26, uh, verses 15 through 16. What are you willing to give me if I deliver Jesus over to you? 
So they counted out for him 30 pieces of silver. From then on, Judas watched for an opportunity to hand Jesus over. This is Judas. He's one of the 12 main disciples of Jesus. He's been with Jesus through his entire ministry. He's seen Jesus heal. He's seen Jesus walk on water. He's seen Jesus people bring people back from the dead. He's heard Jesus teach. He's been with Jesus the whole time. At the end of his ministry, for whatever reason, Judas decides that he is going to sell Jesus out and turn him over to the authorities to be executed. Now the question is, was Judas doing this for money? Does he love money? Or was Judas mad at Jesus and he just somehow profited on top of that? Did Judas have another motivation? Maybe he's like, you know what, Jesus, I, I love you. I think you're real, but I think you need to, to, to kind of wake up and realize that, you know, instead of being some kind of peace-loving guy, you need to be a military guy. So maybe if these authorities come at you, then, then the real Jesus will come out and, and you'll bring your army. And we'll win. Who knows what's going on in Judas's mind? We don't know. But we do know that he took 30 pieces of silver to betray Jesus. Now, after Jesus has been arrested, Judas is sorry. Uh, he, he, he wants to give the money back. They won't take the money back. So Judas goes and hangs himself and drops the 30 coins of silver at his own feet. It's, it's, it's sad. But for whatever reasons or motivations that Judas had, he sold out Jesus. He sold his soul. He sold out Jesus. And I think as we think about money, I think a warning question is, What's my price in selling out Jesus? What's my price in selling out Jesus? Is it a new car? Is it a new house? Is it taking a job that I make money in, but it probably isn't a moral way to do that? What is our individual price for selling out Jesus when it comes to money and the things that money can buy? Is it 30 pieces of silver? Is it more or is it less than that? We've got to be on guard for that, right? Is, when it comes to money and finances, is Jesus number one in our life, right? Are we willing to make sacrificial gifts to Jesus? What are we willing to sell Jesus out for? What is our price? And if we've sold out Jesus, if we've sold our soul for worldly things, the good news is that Jesus loves us anyway and that he buys us back through his death on the cross. We talked about that last week. If we've sold out Jesus for money or something else, we're not too far from God to where he's going to buy us back and offer us forgiveness and give us a life that is full now and forever if we go to Jesus and humble ourselves and tell him that we're sorry and ask for that forgiveness. Even if we sell Jesus out, he will buy us back through his death on the cross. And that is the good news today. So what's the point today? What's the big idea? What's the takeaway? There's a lot of stuff. Here's one thing that we talked about earlier that, that kind of encapsulates it. It matters to God how we earn and use money. It matters to God how we earn and use money. There's nothing wrong with making money. Right? There's nothing wrong with spending money. It's how we do it. What do we do to earn and to use money? It matters to God how we earn and how we use money. So today, as we think about how do we how do we take action from that? What's an action step that I could do from this? I'm just going to list uh, several questions for you, and I invite you to think about one or two or three of these things. I'm going to show you several more than that, but just what are the ones that jump out at you? And just take these home and pray about them, wrestle with them, 
right? Keep your little coin that I gave you. And, and when you see that, maybe think about what these questions are. Just take one of these home with you today. Right? Where do I place my ultimate loyalty, right? Remember the coin that Jesus found with the picture of Caesar? Where do I place my ultimate loyalty? How do I decide what is faithful to give to God? Right? We know what the, the widow gave to God. How does my giving shape the preferred future? Right? Like we saw in Ezra, right? We, we saw people who see a future. How can I support that financially to advance God's work in the world? Right? Some more questions. How do I participate in systems that exploit people? We talked about that with the widow. Right? How do I earn and use money? Right? That's the number one thing today. How do I make my money? How do I use my money? And does that reflect my love for God? Does my bank account, does my, my stock portfolio, how I use that, does that reflect how I love God? And then the question from Judas, what's my price for selling out Jesus? And if I've sold out Jesus, it's not too late for me to be forgiven and to turn to Jesus, right? And then just a few more, couple more questions. How have I experienced joy in finding something that was lost? Remember the lady that found the lost coin? Right, the people in Charlotte whose bank got their money back right, from the glitch in the computer system. All right, and am I aware how much God loves me? Right, that we're worth more than the $280 million uh, Bitcoin uh, hard drive that got lost. Right? We're, we're more wealth important than the two sparrows. Right? God loves us. We are priceless in God's eyes. He gave his life for us. So my dad, the coin collector, right, um, taught me a lot of good lessons in my life. If you don't know me, my dad is a retired pastor. He was a pastor his entire life. Uh, he started preaching, licensed to preach when he was 16 years old and went all the way to retirement. Uh, so I grew up in the church, uh, and uh, my dad serves a lot of different types of churches here in Western North Carolina. Uh, and he was able to provide for my mom and my brother and for me. Um, we didn't have everything in the world, but we didn't need anything, if that makes sense, right? And so uh, we are grateful to be able to be a clergy family, that sort of thing. But when my dad first started out, uh, when uh, newly married with young kids, me and my brother were young, uh, having some tough financial times. I was in a smaller church, not making a lot of money, that kind of stuff. Uh, and so we got into a tight spot, and he had to sell some of his coins just for us to make ends meet. Uh, and one of those coins was valuable. It meant a lot to my dad. Um, but he didn't think twice about it because my mom and my brother and me were more important than that coin. Uh, I didn't know about that until just a few years ago uh, when my mom told me and my brother about that. And uh, I'm still getting choked up about that, but... Um, we were able, as adults, uh, to go and buy one of those coins and give back to my dad. Um, we didn't do that to earn his love. Well, we didn't do that to manipulate him or anything. We just did it to say, Dad, thanks for a sacrifice that you made for us. This is just something we like to do and let you know that we love you and appreciate that. But isn't that exactly what Jesus did for us? He left heaven to come to the earth to become a human being, and he gave up his life on a cross, right? He paid the ultimate price for us. He did that so you and I can be forgiven of the wrong things that we do, so that we can have joy and peace in the world. We can live now, life to the full, live forever in the kingdom of God, right? And there's no way that we can repay that. And Jesus doesn't want us to repay that. It's a gift to us, right? 
But once we've received that and we receive that joy, it, it brings us joy to get in on the life transformation business and to say, you know what, Jesus, I want to be a part of what you're doing, right? I, I want to support the ministry of this church. I want to support the vision that you're doing, right? And so when we give financially back to God, it's not like we're trying to buy his favor. We're not trying to buy our way into heaven. It's saying, God, thanks for all you've done. I'm now glad that I get to support your ministry and be a part of, of what you're doing. It's, it's a small way for me to give back. Just like my brother and my mother and I were able to give back to my dad who made a sacrifice for us. It matters to God how we earn and use money. So when we earn and use money, do so in a way that honors Christ. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen.